Welcome to Move Like This, brought to you by the Accounting Move Project and sponsored by Moss Adams and Sapro. On this podcast, we share ideas and hear from guests about how they find, retain, develop, and advance women and other underrepresented groups in their accounting firms. Now, on to our guest. Hello, everyone, and thank you for being here today on this episode of Move Like This. I am very much looking forward to my conversation today with Priscilla Hammonds. She is the DEI Director at Barry Dunn. So thank you for being here today, Priscilla. You're welcome. Thanks for the invite. Absolutely. We are proud to say that Barry Dunn was named to both of the best CPA firms for women and best CPA firms for equity leadership in 2023. So I'd love to hear from you what you think makes Barry Dunn unique in public accounting and why you decided to join the firm. Sure. So let me start by saying that my background is insurance. I worked in the insurance industry for the majority of my professional career. So this is the first time I've worked in the accounting industry. But what I think makes Barry Dunn unique, I will reflect on um, that question because it's been asked of me since I joined the firm in July of 2023. I think what makes it unique is its authentic, caring culture and its intense focus on people from the standpoint of, okay, if we make this decision, how is it going to impact our people? And so that really struck a chord with me, even during the interview process. I have to admit the interview process was very done. I felt like I was having a conversation, just like you and I are having a conversation. Just a lot of people that are so very approachable and engaging and easy to talk to from the recruiter to my boss, who's the chief um, culture and engagement officer, all the way up to the chief marketing officer and our CEO. It was just easy to talk to them. And ever since I've joined the firm, you know, it's still that way, just a very easygoing environment in a sense, but also, you know, um, intense when it needs to be intense in order to get things done. But so that was probably the one thing that really stood out to me was just the authentic approach around how they care for you, how they support you. And just so many people, you know, from the time I joined, the, the common thing I heard was, if you need anything, don't hesitate to reach out. If you need anything, don't hesitate to reach out. And that, you know, has continued to be um, something that's, you know, said to me because, again, I've only been with the firm since July. And then the other thing that I think is unique is the fact that Barry Dunn launched a journey to really change its focus or have a more intense focus around um, diversity and inclusion. And based on what was shared with me during the interview process, which I'll talk a little bit about, the firm has laid a really good, solid foundation to advance the work going forward. So... Those are the things that I think make Barry Dunn unique. As you mentioned, Barry Dunn has fully embraced diversity and inclusion, the area you now oversee. Yes. And I would love to hear what led the firm to commit the time, resources, and energy to DEI, Mm -hmm. as well as some of the programs you've established and the results that you've seen so far in the very short time you've been there, admittedly. Sure. One of the first things I'll say is, is that the firm has had a focus on DEI even before you know they decided to hire a director of diversity. 
And um, I think their focus has become more intense. Going back to when the previous CEO, John Chandler, signed the CEO Action uh, for Diversity Pledge, which I assume you're familiar with, yes. um, you know, which is an organization that you know, works with CEOs to help them figure out how to drive change in a scalable way. And so that started in 2020. And then once he retired and Sarah Belleville took over, she you know, continued to see the need to focus on it, which led to her uh, saying that it was important to launch a diversity council. So she you know, pledged to ensure that going forward, the firm would have a diversity council, which would help focus on the work, right? And so the diversity council was launched in 2022. Well, as the council began to look at their objectives and the, and the work that needed to be done to achieve those objectives, they realized that, hmm, we need someone to come in and steer this and really be dedicated to it, to move it forward and to advance it in the way that it needs to be advanced. And so the council quickly realized that, they, that the firm needed to hire a leader. And that's when they posted uh, the job, my job, which is director of DEBA. Of course, DEBA, Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, Belonging, and Access. But then the other part of my title is engagement as well as well-being. I think those two things were the like the like the really jump-starting point, right, for the firm to say, "Hey, we're serious about this. Let's get the right resources in place to be able to advance the work." So here I am. And uh, the council continues to be a very uh, viable body um, of folks who are you know, passionate and dedicated to helping the firm think about everything from engagement to recruiting, to how to hold leaders accountable, to how to address systemic barriers that are in the workplace. And so the council has six different subcommittees and I just named you know, four, I think three or four of them. And again, those folks are you know, really looking at what, what needs to happen in order for Barry Dunn to be viewed as an employer of choice, specifically as it relates to appreciating and understanding the importance of diversity and inclusion, and not just as a slogan, but you know, as a way to help advance the business. So since I've come on board, um, you know, a lot of great things have happened, but a few things that I'll highlight is the launching of six employee resource groups, which this is the first time in my entire career where I've worked with a company that launched six employee resource groups all at the same time. You know, usually it's one at a time. So I thought, wow, that that was a really lofty um, goal and initiative, which again shows the you know firm's commitment. And so you know the groups have been launched. They have co-chairs. They have executive sponsors. Employees are really excited about the different groups. And really quick, I'll name the groups. So there's a group for women a group for the BIPOC community, a group for the LGBTQ plus community, a group for veterans, a group for people with disabilities, and then a group for generations. I'm surprised I remembered all six of them, but those are the six groups that exist. And one of the things that I think is nice to highlight is that from an industry perspective, many companies see about 7.9% of their employees you know, become part of at least one employee resource group. Well, here at Barry Dunn, 19% of our employees are members of at least one employee resource group. And so you know, that, again, just shows um, how the introduction and the launching of those groups 
is so meaningful, right, to our employees, because as you know, everyone wants to feel like they belong and that there's someone that they can connect with and network with and learn from, right, that where they have something similar. But yet also, you know, thinking about what is it that they can learn around differences, uh, you know, that will help them just be a better human being, as well as, you know, be a better employee, a better leader, you know, a better principal, a better senior consultant, a better manager, et cetera, et cetera. The ERG program is really, really um, going well. We're actually in the process of creating um, a handbook to help make sure that the groups are governed and operating around certain guidelines. I don't want to call it an afterthought, but again, there was such excitement to launch the groups. You know, they launched them and just said, go, right? And the groups have really done that. They've taken off. But of course, as I've come on board, as I've been involved and helped write ERG policies and guides, you know, I saw an immediate need to say, oh, I think we need to, you know, create some structure and governance around the groups, which we're, you know, in the process of doing right now. But still, very exciting work. And then the other thing that I'm excited about in terms of programs is launching some um, formal diversity training. So prior to me coming on board, the senior, a group of senior leaders were required to uh, take a series of LinkedIn learning courses that focused on, you know, diversity and belonging and microaggressions, et cetera. But as I've come on board and, you know, as I've done in all of the DEI roles where, you know, I've been the leader or, you know, a, a senior consultant, we are bringing in some formal diversity training, right? So that all leaders will go through some training specifically related on inclusive leadership, which ties really nice with one of the newly introduced leadership competencies around inclusivity. So the timing of it is perfect, right? Where this new leadership um, competency has already been introduced. And then, you know, to help with that, all of the leaders will go through some training that focuses on inclusive leadership. And then employees will go through, you know, a similar version of just how to be inclusive in the workplace. So I'm really excited um, to bring that work to the firm. And, you know, I've talked to some folks and some folks are, some have the concern around, okay, well, this training isn't going to be about pointing fingers or pointing out who's wrong and who's right and who did what. And I'm like, nope, that's not what this training is about as all. At all, because one of the things that I've always done as a leader is I think about this work from a very strategic perspective, right? And so this training will specifically talk about how our reactions to differences can impact things like engagement, productivity, you know, employee satisfaction, customer satisfaction, which if you think about just those four things, all of those tie back to the, the firm's financial picture. So, you know, very excited to start to bring that work in to help the associates and the leaders understand that there is a business, true business value to having diversity work be, you know, incorporated and embedded into a firm's overall business strategy. Yeah, I've done a good deal of DEI training for companies and firms, and there is often that nervousness or mm -hmm. pushback that sure. people are afraid of you know, what's going to come out of this or what Absolutely. am I going to look like? Yes. Always try to, I mean, one, there's no benefit to alienating anybody because no. they're going to shut down and they're not going to hear what you're saying. And the goal exactly. is for everybody to pull something from the training, obviously. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, so. and since, yeah. And since I've done this work, I've, I've always had a focus on 
trying to help people be intentional around learning across lines of difference. Because the, I think the more you learn across lines of difference, whatever that difference is, whether it's gender, race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, geographic lo location, you know, work style, job level, the more you can learn around differences, I think the more opportunity there is for you to appreciate and accept differences and not be afraid of differences, right? Because I think, you know, as humans, you know, we're, we're afraid to interact with someone who's different from us. You know, we, we're, we're human. We, our brains say, hey, we're safe with the people who look like us and act like us. That's our safety zone, right? But as you all know, where does true learning come from? Being uncomfortable, right? And dealing with a challenge that doesn't feel good while you're going through it. But when you get to the other side of it, you know, you usually have come out with some lessons learned and hopefully you'll come out being a better person, right? So, you know, I try to, when I talk about this work, I try to talk about it from the standpoint of, yes, there are a lot of differences, but let's learn how to appreciate and accept those differences versus being afraid of them and intentionally staying away from them. And, and that's, that's a tough ask, right? Mm -hmm. That's a tough ask for any human being, right? Because we all have our own values, beliefs around a gazillion different things, right? And so, you know, how do we come together as human beings to talk about our differences, whether it's a difference in perspective, right? A difference in lifestyle where each party can state their belief around it in an environment of having a dialogue and not a debate, Right. Because if you have a dialogue, it's you and I talking, sharing information, each being very intentional about being effective listeners, really seeking to understand. Yet where you talk about debate, there's that I'm right and you're wrong. Well, here's the pros and here's the cons. And I think, yeah. too, in talking about differences, a lot of times if we can create that dialogue, what we uncover is that we don't have as many core differences as we might think. Exactly. We are exactly. all people who have jobs, have families, have frustrations. Yes, exactly. Exactly. If our, if the world, if everyone in the world could remember that you're interacting with a human being, right? Versus... A, a woman or a person of color or a, you know, a Jewish person or someone from, you know, Israel or Ukraine or whatever, if we could get past all of the, the labels that are attached to us as human beings and get to the core focus of the fact that we are human beings, you know, I just think the world would be a much better place and workplaces would be even more inclusive because there's that understanding of whoever you're interacting with, whether it's a peer, whether it's a client, whether it's your leader, we're all humans. Yeah. And to me, that's what this work is about. This work is about human behavior mm -hmm. and how human behavior plays such a critical role in shaping what a work environment looks and feels like. And helping everyone understand that even though I work for a firm where there's 888 employees, I can never underestimate how my individual behavior can help shape whether or not Barry Dunn feels inclusive or not. 
Mm-hmm. And that's one of the messages that I always try to share when I'm on a panel, when I'm having a keynote speaker or, you know, just having a conversation like you and I are right now, or, or especially when I have a chance to talk to employees and leaders, never underestimate how your individual behavior can help shape whether or not the work environment feels inclusive or not. That's a powerful statement. Yes, it Because is. You know, many of us think, you know, oh, I'm just one of eight, 888 people. You know, what I do doesn't doesn't have an impact on anything. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. And the ripple effects of that impact can go much further. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Positive and negative. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you, Priscilla, have been in the DEI space for more than 20 years now. What got you into this originally? And... How have you seen it change over time? And then also I'd like you to kind of finish that your answer with what are you optimistic about and what worries you still? Sure. So what got me into the work was a long, long, long time ago, I was working for, you know, a major fortune 500 company and uh, the company was getting feedback that blacks didn't feel like they had the same opportunity for advancement as whites. And so the company decided decided to hire an outside uh, consulting firm to come in and do some focus groups, you know, to, to get some real data information, you know, to whether to confirm or not confirm if, if that was that was a realistic belief or thought. And so I, obviously, as a woman of color, I was asked to be part of one of those focus groups. And so fast forward, um, after the focus groups were, you know, held and the the information was compiled, you know, I was asked to be on a committee to look at what the results showed. And the results showed that there was a need to focus on diversity and inclusion. And so this firm, you know, this company said, okay, we need to create an enterprise diversity and inclusion strategy. So that's how I got started in, in the work, simply being part of a focus group, which led to me being on a committee, which led to me being part of the diversity council, which led to me eventually chairing the council and then assuming a director of diversity role. That's how it all started for me. And it was during those years that I had that aha moment of, hmm, this work is about human behavior, which seems like a basic concept, but it really isn't. It's a very um, complex, sophisticated dynamic that doesn't get the attention that it should and in terms of understanding how human behavior, like I said, impacts the workplace and impacts whether someone feels included or not and impacts if a leader is truly being inclusive and giving fair, equal opportunity to all of his or her direct reports. So that's how it all started. So you're going to have to repeat. What was the second part of that question? Oh, oh that was... what, 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 what have I seen change, right? So yeah, going back to the early 2000s, it was diversity, right? Just diversity. And then, you know, five or six years, from, from my experience, let me just speak from my experience again, the focus was diversity. And then over time, it became diversity and inclusion because you couldn't just talk about differences, but then not talk about how to value and leverage those differences. So that's when it became diversity and inclusion. And then as you know, over time, additional initials have been added, right? Whether it's equity, whether it's accessibility, whether it's belonging. And you know, even as I mentioned in our firm's title, it's diversity, equity, inclusion, accessibility, and belonging. 
Even beyond that, and I know, I think you know this, now there's a focus on how diversity work intersects with corporate social responsibility or ESG, right? Or when George Floyd happened back in 2020, diversity work started going down the path and getting aligned with social justice. So the work has evolved over the years um, to me in, in a great way. You know, to some, it may be a little confusing, like, well, why do you keep changing the name? Well, you know, it, it's not that companies are just doing it flippantly. You know, companies are realizing, oh, we just can't focus on differences. We have to think about how those differences are being included and how those differences are being valued. And if we as a company are create, creating an equitable uh, platform, right, for anyone who works for our company to want to advance, right? Or, you know, want to get a promotion. That's how I've seen the work evolve over the years. And then in addition to that, the, the creation of the chief diversity officer role, which didn't exist way back when I started. As you know, now there's chief diversity officer, chief inclusion officer, you know, director of diversity. So, you know, there's a number of different leadership titles. What is really important is the chief diversity officer needs to be in the C-suite. Mm -hmm. Now, with the title chief, you would automatically think that's the case, right? That they are part of the C-suite. That's not always the case, I think. So those are some examples where I've seen the work evolve. What am I optimistic about? I'm optimistic of the fact that there are many, many, many sharp, intelligent um, leaders across the country and around the world that are not letting their foot off the gas when it comes to focusing on diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, et cetera. Even though this work has faced a lot of challenges, this work has been politicized, this work is viewed as something negative, which is my concern, there still are a lot of people like me, you know, a lot of my peers and a lot of, you know, diversity subject matter experts that I've, you know, had the, the benefit of being in the room with or getting to know or having some of them mentor me around why this work is still so important and critical for um, any organization to focus on. And it's interesting, yeah. the evolution, you mentioned that it was diversity first, and mm -hmm. then inclusion got added and all the other wonderful words that get tacked on. But yes. I think that's that's so important in that I've talked to and worked with firms that have focused solely on diversity, but not as much on the inclusion side of things or the belonging side of things. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I think that's where you kind of have to focus first. Yes. is make sure that you have a culture and policies in place that everyone is going to have similar opportunities to advance to leadership or yes. to move up among the ranks or craft a position that really fits who they are and mm -hmm. gets them excited. You know, I mean, the more excited you are about the work you do, the more likely you are to stay where you are. Absolutely. And I did. I had conversations with firms that are like, we really actively recruited and hired a number of people of color, but they didn't stay. And hmm. how are you doing on the inclusion side of things? You know, right. because if 
you hire people and they don't see opportunity, they don't feel like they're treated in the same way as others are, then why would they stay? You know, exactly. I'm not going to stay in that kind of job. Exactly. And so exactly. I, I think that evolution is really important. And I'm, it's interesting to hear kind of how that occurred over 20, over the decades that we're talking yes. about. Yes. And, and, it's, and for me, it's exciting to think about, okay, so what's the next phase of evolution? Right. Yeah. That's what I'm, that's what I'm excited about. What's the next phase? Where are we going from here? Can't exactly. Yeah, yeah, and and it, and I, I don't know right now, but mm -hmm. um, but you know I, I'm ready to embrace whatever it is. So <laughs> I have no doubt about that. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So attracting and retaining talent mm -hmm. is sort of the biggest issue facing the profession right now, and I believe a DEI focus can help with this but some firms are starting to pull back on their commitment to DEI. So what would you say to those firms and what do you think is the best strategy for expanding talent pipelines and retaining team members at your firms? For those firms that are considering pulling back, I would ask them to reconsider for a few reasons. One of the main reasons to focus on diverse talent is to broaden the talent pool. What's wrong with broadening the talent pool? So ask that question, right? Because if they don't continue to focus on it, their talent pool is going to shrink. They may have some diverse employees who are currently with the firm leave because they're not seeing enough people that look like them. And that can have an impact on um, engagement metrics, right? In terms of diverse employees, you know, people of color not feeling like, well, why isn't the company hiring more people, you know, that look like me? Why is it every month when I see the new hire announcement seems to be the same kind of people getting hired? What's up with that? Why is that happening? Right. So that would be part of my conversation with a, a company to say, you know, wait a minute, let's really stop and think about this. Right. And then also, well, the other part of that is as you know, when you lose talent, it costs a company more money to replace, okay. to hire someone, right, than it does to retain that person. And so if you're able to show the, the dollars associated with losing talent walking out the door, you can say, hey, we lost 10 employees, right? And so we had to spend $100,000 to replace them. Well, that's $100,000 that comes off of the, the revenue, the money made. Right. So there's a there's a connection between losing talent and how that impacts a company financially. If they say, well, OK, well, Priscilla, what are some things we can do? Well, here's several, you know, here's several things you can think about. And none of these would be new to, you know, most companies or any diversity professionals like yourself. You know, number one, leverage your employee resource groups, you know, reach out to them and let them know, hey, we have X number of positions open. Do you have any friends or family or neighbors, you know, that you think, you know, would be interested in an opportunity with our firm? So that's one way, right, to continue to, you know, focus on getting diverse talent. Another way is, and I think you and I talked about this a little bit, is building strategic partnerships, right, with historically Black, Black colleges or diverse professional organizations such as the National Black Accountants Association, or the, the Association of Latino uh, Professionals in Finance and Accounting, 
you know, there's the International Society of Filipinos in Finance and Accounting, you know, so there's a number of different diverse professional firms, as well as historically Black colleges and universities. And also there's universities that focus on uh, recruiting Hispanic talent. Why not reach out to those universities and establish a strategic partnership? Now, what do I mean by strategic partnership? It's not just a matter of reaching out to the career office and saying, hey, Howard University, when are you having your next career fair? Barry Dunn would like to you know, participate. That's not a strategic partnership. A strategic partnership is where you reach out and you talk to the dean of the business school, the dean of the accounting school, or who all the professors of the accounting school, and say, you know, we'd like to come in and talk to your accounting students, mm-hmm. or we'd like to come in and mentor your accounting students, or we'd like to help your accounting students, you know, create their resumes. So when they are ready to apply for opportunities, we can, you know, we've helped them with their resume. We can do practice interviewing with them to help position them really well, right, for those accounting and finance opportunities that exist. So that's what I mean by strategic partnership. And with a strategic partnership, it's not just a, a one-year type of deal, right? It should be, let's look at what we can build together in phases over maybe two or three years. Because what that also does is that shows that university or that professional organization that your organization wants to be a partner with them, right? Your organization wants to help that professional organization or those students, you know, be successful. Um, And it's not just a, you know, hey, let's, let's show up. Let's put our brand up. Hey, okay, we were at that career fair. We can check that off. And we don't have to go back to Howard University. Well, no. It's important for companies to keep showing up at these universities or with these professional um, diverse organizations, because what that also does is, I mean, that's branding. That's branding opportunities, right, for your firm, where your firm is viewed as, you know, an employer of choice because it's committed, right, to pouring into and investing in those members of that professional organization or those students at that particular college. Yes, I agree completely. And I know some of the move firms that I've talked to over the last few years um, have also, in addition to all the things that you were talking about, created scholarships for accounting students. Uh, Scholarships and internships. Yes. Yes. And often they're tied. So if you're the recipient of the scholarship, then as long as you want it, you have an automatic internship. And that for firms, if you think about it, you know, a thousand, even $5,000 scholarship is not a lot of money for the firm. Not at all. Yet that can be sort of life-changing for students. I know that the cost of college is way, way, way more than it was when I went through, but that kind of support, even if you're not the person who receives the scholarship, you see that they are committed and really working to advance opportunities for underrepresented groups. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And another thing that a, a peer shared with me is even if you may not have any current openings, you still should create that strategic partnership because you will eventually have some openings, right? And so if you've already built that you know, relationship, those universities and those professional organizations can say, hey, Barry Dunn, here's five or six students that are about to graduate, you know, graduate with honors that, you know, are looking for 
you know, their first job in the accounting industry? Would you talk to them? Would you consider interviewing them, right? And even if there aren't any openings, would you still have a conversation with them about what they should think about, right? As they're, you know, looking for their first full-time position in the accounting industry. Yeah, it's a commitment. Yeah. Like it is say, a commitment. It is a commitment. It's not a year in and out. No, yeah. And another big thing is when you build those strategic partnerships, it's important to have people that look like them as part of who, who shows up to do the coaching or the interviewing or the mentoring. Not to say that non-people of color can't, but it usually is better received when, you know, these young people see people that look like them because they're like, oh, okay, well, if she can get there, then, you know, hey, there's a chance for me. Mm. right representation yeah. matters absolutely absolutely representation matters and i don't know if i was talking to you last week when we were prepping for this about the you know younger generations have more of a focus and value diversity equity and inclusion more than you know maybe our generation as you know baby boomers or gen xers it's it's almost like diversity is a non-negotiable like if they don't see or hear that, you know, diversity is part of that company's focus or strategy, they may say, mm, no, my, their, their values don't align with mine. I'll go look somewhere else. Yeah. So that is, that's another reason. That is absolutely happening. And I read a survey recently that it was a huge, like in the neighborhood of 85, 90% of Gen Z if they join a company that has stated DEI goals and they're not seeing it delivered on, we'll mm -hmm. leave. They'll yeah, just absolutely. go somewhere else. And absolutely. in today's job market, they can. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, one more thing I want to say, because I don't, as a diversity leader, I wouldn't feel right if I didn't also mention, you know, the fact that while I've been talking, well, you and I, we've been talking a lot about, you know, going to historically Black colleges and diverse professional organizations. Well, you know, there's also other professional organizations for veterans, mm -hmm. for the LGBTQ plus community, for people with disabilities. I have a, a soft heart, and maybe that's not the right word, for people with disabilities. And a quick story around that. Um, when I was, you know, working at a former employer, I met a young lady, African-American, who is disabled. And she graduated with her bachelor's, went and looked for a job, couldn't find anything. So she went back and got her master's thinking, okay, I'll get my master's. That'll make me more marketable. Still couldn't find anything. So she realized that if she was having this challenge as a woman, a black woman with a disability, she said, there, there's probably many others that are having a similar challenge. So what did she do? She started her own nonprofit organization that focuses specifically on helping people with disabilities and those from underrepresented groups find mentorships and or employment. And she's had that organization probably for about 20 years or so. I think there was a point maybe where she thought about shutting it down, but I think she's, she's brought it back um, with a focus on mentoring because People with disabilities, that's a large talent pool that probably is not tapped into or even thought of, right, as a as a dimension of diversity where you can broaden your talent pool. You know, I just wanted to make sure that I added that piece in there that, yes, there, there are the, you know, part of those underrepresented groups are people with disabilities, mm -hmm. people that are part of the LGBTQ community, veterans, 
Yeah. And yeah, even from a generational standpoint, AARP, you know, does a lot of to help those who are, you know, 55 or 60 still be active and viable in the workplace. Have you ever thought about talking to AARP, mm-hmm. you know, to see what their platform may look like in terms of those of us, you know, who are getting close to retirement, but not ready to retire or have reached retirement and decided, hey, we think we want to go back to work because it's boring at home, right? So again, being creative and thinking, I hate to use this term because it's overused, thinking outside the box, right? Around where might you find talent in places where you've never looked? Mm -hmm. That's the question. Where might you find talent in places where you've never looked? And then thinking about it from, you know, those other dimensions that I mentioned um, besides people of color. Absolutely. And hey, AARP starts sending their mailers at 50 or even before you turn. Exactly. Yes. There's some some of us that are members that you may not really think about. (laughs) Exactly. Yes, exactly. I so love this conversation and I always like to end with just some fun questions. Sure. So when you were five years old, what did you want to be when you grew up? A high fashion model, like a runway model. I gotcha. And the, and the reason was because I had a cousin. Her name was Marilyn. She was about maybe 10 or 11 years older than me. And I remember being young and there was this like fashion show in you know our local community. And she was in the fashion show and she was just so, I mean, beautiful and graceful and poised. And I always looked up to her and, you know, I was like, I want to be like that. Right. And she, of course she, she had the height for it. She was tall enough. Obviously, I wasn't tall enough to be a high fashion model. So that that was what I focused on when I was five years old. How fun. That's the first yeah. time I've heard that one. Yes. So if you are given the chance to travel anywhere for free, you don't have to worry about time off or what it costs or anything mm-hmm. like that. Where would you go and why? Oh, South Africa to see where my ancestors came from. That's very yeah. cool. Yeah. I- I have a good friend that recently went to South Africa on business and Mm -hmm. she said it was, the flight was miserable, (laughs) but it was absolutely beautiful. And she actually got to go on a few excursions and things while she was there. And I mean, it's on my bucket list. So yes, it's going to happen, you know, within the next five to 10 years. Oh, I like it. I can't wait to hear about it because it's on my bucket list too. Oh, Maybe we should plan a trip together. Oh, there you go. I like it. Yes. We just need to find that funding and the no time off, no worries about time off. Exactly. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And if you could have one superpower, what would it be? Oh, man, that's a loaded question. So my superpower would be ending all the wars that exist around the world by removing racism, classism, sexism, heterosexism, ableism, ageism, all those isms, you're getting rid of all those isms along with any, all types of institutional and systemic discrimination Mm -hmm. that obviously has led to so much polarization and division and unfair treatment and unfortunately death. If I had, if I had superpowers, if I could get rid of that, that that's what I would do. And going back to what I said earlier, Humans that live in this world see each other as human beings first and celebrating all of the commonalities connected to that. I can completely get behind that. And that actually reminds me a little bit. One of, I can't remember who said it, but 
someone else that um, I had on the podcast said that they would like to have an empathy wand. Mm. So they could wave that so that others could feel mm. more empathetic. And yes. you know, it, in a way, I mean, yours is way more powerful um, <laughs> and I'll take all of it. I mean, last, <laughs> last time I talked to Angie Grissom and she said she would want the power to heal everybody, mm. which mm. also I'm like, I just, I wish I could give out these um, superpowers that I ask Me about so and make the world a whole lot better place. Me too. Me too. Well, thank you so much for being here today. I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation, learned from it, and really appreciate you sharing your knowledge with everybody here. And I applaud Barry Dunn for hiring you and look forward to talking to you again soon. Well, thank you for your kind words. And again, thank you for the opportunity to do this pod, this podcast. I was a little nervous, but again, just felt like I was having a conversation with a friend. That's all it is. <laughs> Absolutely. So I, and I look forward to, you know, staying in touch with you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Move Like This, brought to you by the Accounting Move Project and sponsored by Moss Adams and Sapro. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website at accountingmoveproject.com. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends and colleagues too. I'm your host, Bonnie Buell-Russick, and until next time, keep moving forward.